Hello, dear listener. This is The Optimist in Revolt. My guest this week is Marion Sang. Marion is a very good friend of my wife's and of mine, uh, probably in that order, but not to say that that doesn't make her not a good friend of mine. Um, Marion is a, pre, a prenatal genetic counselor. Um, she has a Bachelor of Science in Biology from UC Riverside, a Master's of Science in Genetic Counseling from UC Irvine. Um, so she's super smart, um, and I wanted to have her on because she is a Christian person who is in the hard sciences, who is in kind of a, a field that can be fraught with controversy from time to time. Um, but uh, I'm not asking her to come here and speak on behalf of the genetic counseling Christian community. Um, I just think that it, it, it's an interesting kind of person who finds themselves in uh, this, the hard sciences as a Christian, when many people from the outside might think that those are kind of a contradiction. Marion, thank you for coming on. How's it going? Doing pretty well. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. Um, so yeah, like, can you just talk for a second about like what a genetic counselor is and how that might interact with your uh, faith experience? Of course. Yes. Well, thank you for that kind introduction. Uh, number one, I've never really, it's funny saying, hearing you say the degrees makes me feel smarter than I know that I am. <laughs> um, but you know, one of the things that I think is important to remember um, in terms of someone who is of of faith and in the science fields or really anything STEM related, um, is that you know when you typically think of someone in the STEM fields, uh, someone of faith, specifically someone who holds Christian values, it can be very difficult for someone in there. And I remember the first time that I really felt that, and that was in my undergrad animal biology class when everything that I believed in, uh, such as creation, was on day one mocked and laughed at and told was ridiculous. And it was at that moment that I really felt for the first time what it was like to be a person of faith in a field that is predominantly going to be filled with people who do not share your same values. And might be hostile towards your values. Yes, and, and may even be hostile towards your values. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, and I realized I didn't actually even answer your question. Um, do you mind repeating that? <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was something about, you know, what it's like to be a Christian in that field, which I think you did answer as far as from an educational perspective, like even beginning to say, I'm interested in this. And people saying, well, you shouldn't be because you believe in an invisible man in the sky, which it's like, guys, that's such a tired argument. Can yes. we not do that anymore? <laughs> right. And as you were saying that, I remembered your first question is what I didn't answer, which was, what is a genetic counselor? So, oh, sure. Yeah. To very, very briefly cover that. Uh, as a genetic counselor, I am one of the healthcare providers typically on a team uh, for any given patient. And I'm there to help talk patients through whatever specific um, family history or uh, whatever specific genetic conditions are of concern for that patient, I'm able to talk with them through the benefits, limitations, um, advantages of having genetic testing, being able to um, arrange that testing, walk them through that, and then help explain the results, as well as help arrange the changes that may happen in their medical management due to that result. 
I think that's a very interesting idea because that sounds fraught with danger. Um, but I think that, and we've kind of talked about this a little bit before, but just that when Christians surrender fields of study, because we say, well, that's not for Christians, like, don't do that. Don't surrender, right? Because what I think, you know, in a, any sort of counseling has an ethical component to it. And so your ethics are going to be informed by your whole worldview and belief system. And so if we say, well, we're not going to get involved in this thing where ethics is a big part of it, then we're going to have no one who has their ethics informed by their faith in those fields. And so we're just kind of surrendering it and saying, okay, people with no basis for their moral values, you can have this one. That is so true. And that's honestly one of the main reasons why I am uh, in the position of, or I should say, um, field of work that I'm in is because I really felt that the Lord opened the door for me, um, to have the job that I have, uh, and really gave me that encouragement that, you know, for such a time as this is kind of what came into my mind when I was really praying about, you know, the job search and where I was applying when I was doing interviews. Um, and especially when it came down to actually accepting the job, mm-hmm. um, I just really felt the Lord telling me, you know, if you're not here, not that no one else could sure. do that job. I mean, many other genetic counselors do this job and do it very well. Uh, but one of the things I really felt the Lord saying was, you know, I have put you here for a reason. And then he has given me experiences that have confirmed that he has me here uh, to serve these patients um, as someone who comes from a position where um, I do hold biblical values and hold um, the value of life. Yeah, and I think the value of life is is probably, I, I mean, like we're talking in super coded language, right? But <laughs> but I think everybody knows what we mean. And and so, yeah, it's just like, you're right. And so you get, what a, a blessing it is, and I'm sure you view it this way, to be, to be allowed to be used by the Lord and say, all right, God, yeah, we're not going to surrender. I'm going to have my little part of this wall and I'm going to guard this little part of the wall. And I'm going to, you know, it, it's the it's the thing of can atheists or people who don't have any sort of faith be moral people? And sure, they can. Mm-hmm. But there's no foundation for it. And so the fact that you actually have a foundation and, and it's like you don't – you don't have this interest in one science, but two, in the specific field of genetics, in spite of your faith, you have it because of your faith. Is that fair to say? I don't want to put words in your mouth. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I think this is something that we have talked about before, but just um, w- becoming you know, more knowledgeable about the field of genetics, just being able to, in a, some small way, understand the intricacies of how our genes and our DNA, how that works. It's it's a very complicated process and things happen all the time uh, that if for lack of better words, mess it up. And that's Mm -hmm. when we see individuals who have atypical um, functioning genes and therefore have different types of genetic conditions that we see. Um, And so understanding just how amazingly coordinated everything is for a person to have the typical genetic information is incredible. And it kind of comes back down to there must be an intelligent designer who's put this all together uh, because if not how many leaps of faith are you making to say mm-hmm. that everything could happen by chance uh, it's a lot it's a lot <laughs> I'll say two things and I'll actually talk about you and your life and your relationship <laughs> with the Lord but one is 
Um, it's interesting you say that because I had a chiropractor appointment today, um, and I've been having some jaw pain. And so I was just talking to him about it. And as far as I know, he's not in- interested in faith or anything, but it was really interesting because he said, well, the jaw is designed in such a way. And I was like, <laughs> there it is. <laughs> All right, cool. So I thought that was really interesting that like, you know, it's even assumed by people who really know what they're talking about, mm-hmm. that it's a design. The other thing was, um, I was reading something today and like, I'm not a science guy. I'm not a hard science guy. I'm a big social science guy, but not a big hard science guy. So I don't, can't really get into these, like, I don't understand most of what's going on. Um, I barely do. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's reassuring. Yeah. Um, but I was reading something about the testing that they've done on animals where they take out what they think is junk DNA. Like they think mm. is the junk and how that just destroys them basically. And so it's like, because that's a big argument where it's like, well, if we were designed, we were designed pretty poorly. And it's like, well, anomalies that happen in a in the design do not negate the fact that a design is a sound design and that there is a designer with a purpose. So anyway. That's interesting. But you're exactly right. The junk DNA we're finding out with more research and more studies actually is probably a lot more useful than it appears at first glance. It's so not junk, maybe. It's not junk, maybe. Yes. Exactly. One man's <laughs> trash is a... Is another man's treasure? <laughs> I guess so. Or uh, anyway, uh, well, let's let's get to you. How did you uh, be? How did you become a Christian? I was born um, into a Christian family, so it's a little difficult to say this is when I became a Christian. Um, but I do somewhat recall, possibly more, just from being told that I did pray that prayer when I was about four years old, uh, and was then baptized at seven. Um, had a recommitment of faith when I was about 13, 14 years old. Um, but that entire time, I really feel up until the point I turned uh, 17, 18 years old, very much a baby Christian. Like, okay, I've prayed the prayer. I'm going to church. I'm memorizing the verses in Awana. I'm being the good little girl. Um, but that was sort of it. It was all just very shallow, uh, very much the outer persona of what I was showing people. Uh, but I never really took my faith seriously until I hit a point um, after high school where God really laid it out for me. And I became very much aware of what a sinner looks like. And that looks like me. Um, the way that I've always to myself thought of it is God really had to break me down in order to build me up to be the woman and the daughter that he intended me to be. And so one of the things that for me, when I hear that question of, Oh, when did you become a Christian? Yeah. I mean, I was a Christian pretty much my whole life. Um, but I didn't really become a, take my faith seriously Mm -hmm. or become a real Christian in terms of making it real for myself until I was about 17, 18 years old. Okay. Yeah. I think it's interesting about the idea of you use the phrase being a good little girl. And I think that, (laughs) I think that's a really interesting thing because there's a lot of people who kind of reject Christianity because they grew up in church and they said, it's just a list of rules and Mm -hmm. I would don't want that. Right. Mm -hmm. I think that the, there's another side to that, which is people who grow up in the church can also not reject Christianity, but say it's a list of rules and I'm meeting the list of rules to the best I can. And there's no glaring sin in my life. Uh, there's no, there's no secret drug addiction or whatever the thing, you know, whatever, <laughs> name your sin. Um, so it's like, you can look at it as oh, it's a list of rules and I like following the rules and it's a positive thing and I'm able to follow the rules and everything's good. Um, and so you don't reject it, but you still live that same kind of 
looking at it not as legalism because I, I, I mean, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I don't necessarily know that people in your situation mm. wouldn't believe that the, um, the adhering to rules impacts their salvation necessarily, right? Because mm-hmm. we don't really believe that. Um, we believe that salvation impacts how you adhere to rules, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But, um, but that it's like you can very easily fall into the trap of, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, God. Thanks for this stuff. I'm following most of the rules, you know, and I'll, I'll sometimes, I'll tell a lie and then I'll get caught and I'll feel bad about it and everything's... It's not as bad as those sins but over there. But it's not as bad as those <laughs> sins over there. Yep. And so I think that for people who, you know, grow up in, in church, that can be a real struggle. And it's interesting too. There's a phrase that you use that used to really bother me when I was um, angrier, <laughs> maybe for lack of a better word, but it's, it, you said that you recommitted. And I think that's mm. a really interesting thing because mm-hmm. I remember being in church when I was young and someone saying, well, you can't recommit. If you have to recommit, you were never really committed in the first place. In the mm. first place. And I get that sentiment, like, but that's such a silly thing to think, right? Because in any sort of relationship, you have ups and downs, Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is. And so like that recommitment is, is saying, no, I, I've been kind of lax in my deal and I got to pick it up, pick mm-hmm. it up a little bit, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, so I, it's, it's interesting lots of times for people who grow up, um, in the faith that you do have to be broken down and that looks different than it does for someone who either left and came back mm-hmm. or who was never involved at all, mm-hmm. but that there has to be a, a reckoning of, I am a sinner. I am like, just because my sins don't look like theirs are, or a lot of times my sins aren't super public, right? That can be a huge thing, but that it's like, no, dude, it's bad. <laughs> it's yes, really no bad. no matter how you slice it. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I think exact uh, kind of, it's a tangent, I guess, in a sense to what you're saying, but it's really bringing to mind of how it's really easy for people in the church to th- live their lives comparatively Yes. in terms of like kind of we were joking out earlier, but it's so true. Like, oh yes, maybe I lie a little here and you know, maybe some of the things I do aren't exactly right, but it's not like a committed murder or anything like that. And it's really easy to compare yourself that way. But God makes it so clear in the Bible, like, excuse me, don't compare yourself (laughs) to other people. You need to compare yourself to Jesus. And let me tell you, you are not living up. Yes. Um, And so, yeah, definitely that thought of, um, yeah, this, this sin, that's not so bad until you realize, oh, but it's sin. It's so cosmic treason. It just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah, just make, having that realization is important. Yeah, I think, I think it is. And it, and it is hard. For, I think it almost in a certain kind of way is harder when you don't have this big collapse, mm-hmm. right? It's like, because it's, you have to actually do more introspection maybe. Like I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't mean to make light of people who have like these giant, breakdowns mm-hmm. and like that's what causes them to you know they, they died of a drug overdose and their heart came back and now they're living for jesus um i had a great uncle who was on his deathbed and committed his life to christ and then didn't die and oh, then wow. kept on going to, and then he like started going to church and it was a whole thing and like one of his brothers started going to church because of that and it's like it was crazy but i think that when something like that happens then you have to like it, the introspection looks different where it's like I have to dig down to what caused me to have my drug addiction whatever the thing was and then we can get to it but um, that when you don't have glaring sin it's harder to 
it's harder to do detail work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, and it's harder to be confronted by sin that is detail work because it can feel like, eh, but I'm not, like you said, like I'm not committing murder. Yeah. So it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what song is best? Oh, for me, what song is best? Um, the definition of best is important to me in this question. And I think the way that, unless you have a different definition, um, I kind of interpret that as being what's a song that just withstands the test of time. So it's not a fad, not something that, oh, this is my favorite song today. And for me, that would actually be the hymn, Because He Lives. Mm-hmm. Um, that is one of my grandparents' favorite hymns, grandparents on my mom's side, so my uncle and mama. And um, it's one of those songs that just the message of it really just, no matter what's happening in life, doesn't matter. You can live and look forward to tomorrow purely based on the fact that Jesus lives. Anything. You can face anything because of that. And that message, I think, is especially encouraging, I think, in the world that we live in today, where, you know, things are not always going to look uh, the way we want them to and not be um, the type of world necessarily that we would choose to live in, but that doesn't matter. Um, Tomorrow is worth living, and I don't need to have any fear because Jesus lives. Yeah, it's something that we we talk a lot about the attributes of Christ and, and who he is and what he does, and He's a redeemer and this sort of thing. I think that recently I've been doing some reading about Christ as sustainer mm. and like that that is something that maybe isn't highlighted as often, um, but just that like the world goes on because of Christ. The world was made through Christ mm. and the world continues because of Christ. So even for non-Christians, guess what? Because Christ lives, you get to face tomorrow too, but it's something it's more specific to us, right? Um mm-hmm in the elect who, uh, um, get, get to have that hope and like that we have a knowledge and a foundation for why life is worth living. It's not just, Oh, life goes on. It's life is worth living. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that the nostalgia, like you were talking about with your grandparents, it's always, it's always interesting how your parents' songs or your songs or your grandparents' songs are your songs just because they have that dual thing, right? Where it's one, I've, connect to this song because the lyrics are great and that the melody of that song is wonderful as well. But, um, but two, you get to like, look at Christ allowing other people to find hope in that song to look forward and say, because Christ lives, my grandmother could face tomorrow. And because of mm. that, my mother could face tomorrow. And because of that, I can face tomorrow. And like mm. just the, the sustaining nature of Christ um, and that that's how we find life. And that's why we're, life is worth living. Um, that's a really good song. It is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like that it starts out with God sent his son. They called him Jesus also. Because that feels kind of like a country song. It kind of does. <laughs> let's let's do the background and give the story the gospel. And then we'll get into Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, what person whom you've never met and outside of the Bible has had the biggest impact on your spiritual life? So for me, I have been asked this question before, and the same person always comes to mind, and that is my grandmother. So the same grandmother I was just talking about, my ama, uh, her older sister, whose name was Esperanza. And the reason why is because in our entire family, she was the first person who became a Christian. And it's because of her and the way that she lived her life that my grandmother became a Christian, Um, and why the rest of my grandmother's family came to Christ as well. 
And for me, that's just, it's really neat to be able to pinpoint it back to Esperanza and to know that I am living in the freedom of Christ because of her. And I can see that godly heritage being passed through my family. I think it's interesting that the idea is that it's a, a, a family member who you can pinpoint, right? Who you've never met. Like, that's a really interesting thing. And someone who was in a generation of someone who you had met, I assume, right? Because, you, yes. you know, your grandma. But it's just, it's a, it's an interesting idea to be able to, to see that. Because for me, like, my, on my dad's side, no one was a Christian until my dad. Mm. I mean, lots of people were Christians in the way that all people in olden times in the Midwest are Christians. Mm -hmm. But for some reason, just it got lost by the time it got to my dad and no one was a Christian. And then he was like, well, you know, he went to every kind of church you could go to because he, my dad's a big community guy. So he just like oh. was, you know, oh, they got a softball team. I'll go play softball with Catholics <laughs> and I'll go, you know, ride bikes with the Mormons. <laughs> That's too close. But, okay. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so it's just, and I also, I just want to make very clear. I'm not conflating Catholicism with Mormonism. I want to be very clear about that. Sorry, friends. Um, but yeah, and so I think it's it's and so because of that, you know, interestingly, obviously he met my mom at church, and so like that wouldn't have happened. And mm -hmm. my grandfather, his dad, came to Christ in like his late seventies, early eighties. And so it's just really interesting that it would be someone you don't know in your family who was able to just have such a huge impact on crazy people. Where was this, by the way? Where, uh, meaning where was she? Yes. In the Philippines. So they were in the Philippines, mm -hmm. which correct me if I'm wrong, cause I might be, <laughs> but not the biggest Christian culture at the time in the Philippines. No, especially since, uh, my family actually in the Philippines belongs to the, they call that population Chinese from the Philippines, mm -hmm. um, very much more of a Buddhist background. Okay. And so that's another thing about her that I just admire so much that she was able to, become a Christian, realize I want this to be my family. I want, uh, let me rephrase it. Sorry. I want my family to know Christ uh -huh. and was able to do that in obviously such a grace filled way that was not seen as being offensive or as being disrespectful to her parents. Um, and the way that she was able to conduct her life in such a way that everyone in the family, not only were like, Oh, like she has bronzes, whatever, but rather just, wow, Esperanza, hmm, interesting. I want that mm -hmm. and became something to admire. Um, and this is kind of a, a little tangent here, but it's one of the really neat stories that my grandmother has told me about Esperanza and the family. Um, that is the reason why I just, the, the reality of heaven and hell always brings me to this story. Um, and it's actually surrounds the way that Esperanza died. Uh, during World War II, my family, they escaped Manila um, and were off on an island called Fuga Island where they were actually in a village with the natives uh, on the same side, or sorry, near the same area that the Japanese were actually camping out. And there was a American raid that was technically friendly fire for my family, but they mistook my family's huts as being part of the mm. Japanese. Um, and so they dropped some bombs uh, in that area. And a lot of my family died that day. And my grandmother, my Alma always tells me the story in that 
you know, a lot of people were injured and dying and two specifically was Esperanza and my grandmother's uncle. Now Esperanza was a Christian uh, as we've already established, but my ama's uncle was very much not. He was a strong atheist slash Buddhist. He ridiculed Esperanza. He ridiculed the family members who were Christians, um, mocked them, didn't, um, made it very clear that he disagreed and in a way that was uh, not respectful in any shape or form. Um, And so there was, you know, the bombs that went off, shrapnel everywhere. Um, Sorry if this is getting too... um, And so essentially both Esperanza and the uncle were dying due to being hit by shrapnel. And we're talking about no medical help anywhere. So even if there had been, though, from the sound of it with, you know, essentially guts not being shrapnel inside the body. Shrapnel the way that shrapnel Yeah, is. exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, it, was, it, was not a pretty, it was not a pretty sight. And my grandmother always shares that you had Esperanza over here who was just very calm, very peaceful. And you could see that, um, even though she was clearly in a lot of pain. Um, and she, when she died, my grandmother said she remembers her saying, he is so beautiful. And then she passed away. Um, and then in contrast, the uncle was thrashing and screaming and yelling that it was so hot. It was so hot and no one could relieve him. Um, and he was just, he could not be consoled in any way. And he died screaming about how hot it was. And my grandmother said that just gave her chills, even when she would tell me the story, uh, since she has now passed away, but she would tell me like it just every time it just gave her chills to think about his screams and the way that he was clearly um, in a very unpleasant place. Well, I think that that's a just such a, a stark, clear picture yeah. of what it looks like and what one thing you, you I mean, here here's the options, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there's not really a middle ground. Um, but, but something that really struck me about what you're saying is as like the idea of Christians being respectful, that doesn't mm-hmm. mean, you know, kowtowing and like making concessions about what truth is. Mm-hmm. But when we're confront, when we realize the truth of Christ and our own sin, it should make us the most humble people in the world. Mm-hmm. And so it's really easy to walk in when you know the truth and say, I know the truth. You don't get on board. <laughs> Come on, dummies. Get, you know, this is true. Can't you see it's true, right? But instead, it says, I know who I was, and I know that it was not great, and I know how much I resist the Lord now, right? As a Christian, I still am like, God, no, 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 we're not doing that, God. No, 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 no. You made the universe, but I might know better than you, right? But if you live your life in a way that makes people curious about the faith, mm-hmm. you should, like, that's the ideal, right? You live your life in a way where... You don't need to put on, you know, your your Christian armband and walk around and have everybody say, that's how I know you're a Christian. No, they'll know you're a Christian by your love, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so what a loving thing to do is to, like, present it, right? Answer questions, say, this is where I was, you know, like that kind of thing instead of just walking in, you know, flipping everybody off and saying, deuces, y'all, I'm out of here. It's, it's, that doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, 
This is also kind of a tangent, but I'm going to do it anyway. Um, it's a good one. Vody Bakum, who I really like. Do you know uh, Vody oh. Bakum? He's a he's a pastor. He recently had heart surgery and it went well. Anyway, um, but he was talking about how when he first became a Christian, that he was like on fire for the Lord, but that he was like he's an argumentative guy by nature, right? Ah. Which I relate to because I'm an argumentative guy by nature. And he was just talking about how he just just became become a Christian and he was in college and some Jehovah's Witnesses came and started talking to him about the Bible. He's like, yeah, I love the Bible and like that kind of thing. And they had this whole conversation. And he goes, I figured out pretty quickly that they weren't on the same page as me. So I went and asked one of my Christian mentors about it. And he told me they're Jehovah's Witnesses. So I went to the library and learned everything I could about Jehovah's Witnesses. Like I was ready for them. They came back and he goes, and we just, and I just laid into him. I was like, here's where you're wrong here, 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 and here, and blah, blah, blah. Like just really got him. And he, and he comes back to, starts to, goes back to the mentor kind of the next day. He's like telling him the story. And he's like, you're pretty proud of yourself, huh? And he goes, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm feeling pretty good. And he goes, do you think they'll come back? <laughs> and he was like, and my universe was just shattered. Because if you just come out guns blazing, right, I'm of the opinion that we should, as Christians should save most of our ire for other Christians who are not living mm. up to the, you know, there are far more warnings in the Bible about false teachers and that sort of thing than there are about non-believers. We're supposed to treat those groups of people very differently from each other. That doesn't mean, again, that we necessarily attack everybody who's a, you know, who we view as a, as a false teacher, but it does mean that you, you treat people differently. And I think that leading with love is a really, and not like the, the flowery kind of world love, but like, mm-hmm. you know, truth love, because mm-hmm. love is true. You say what's true. That's what you do when you love somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think is the biggest challenge facing the church today? Mm. The biggest challenge facing the world today. The church today. The church today. I'm yes. sorry. What it's did okay. I say? You said the world, which is a common that's a phrase. That's a different question. That is a, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's true. Yeah. Different, <laughs> different question. question. <laughs> All right. The church. Um, I would say hypocrisy. I think it's very easy um, to say one thing, you know, and then live your life in a different way. Being able to talk the talk, but not walk the walk. That's very brief, but I like it. No, it's true. Um, it is a challenge because we, again, it goes, kind of goes back to the knowledge of the truth, right? Mm-hmm. That knowledge of the truth doesn't do you any good if you say one thing and then do a different thing, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm a big believer in talking, obviously. Like I like to talk and I like to theorize and have these kinds of conversations. But I think that there's something to be said that for the idea that you can't really judge someone based on what they say. You can only really judge mm-hmm. them based on what they do. And I mm-hmm. find tremendous value in words, again. But And I'm not. this is not like a political statement, what I'm about to say. But when you see a situation where certain governors in certain states say, you have to do, you have this law that you have to abide by, and then you find out they themselves are not abiding by that law, well, then you know they don't really believe in that law, right? Because... What you believe should manifest itself. Now, it doesn't manifest itself perfectly, right? Because we as Christians would say, we're all kind of hypocrites, right? Mm -hmm. That's part of the deal. That's why we need a savior, right? Right. This is not a religion where I've perfected myself, so now my hypocrisy is gone. It's saying, Mm -hmm. it's still there, but I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea of when you mess up, repent. Repent to God. Repent to the people who you're harming or who you're lying to or whatever the thing is. And then you move, you get to move on after that and you get to make things right. 
but you don't get to continue to to speak badly about an activity and then do that activity. Like mm -hmm. then you don't actually believe it. Then mm -hmm. you're saying you believe it, but you don't really. Right. So I think that is apt. <laughs> I think so. I kind of to add another layer of what I think more came to my mind when I was thinking about hypocrisy was more coming from, you know, a lot of Christians are, or the church usually, you know, was going to be all about, oh, we're all about love and we're all about, um, following the Bible and kind of what we had talked about before, right? Following this list of rules and being good people. And I think the more of what came to mind is that there's a lot of people who have had experiences with Christians where, love and good people are probably the furthest from their mm -hmm. minds after certain interactions with certain people. And I think that was more of, of what I was following the lines of is knowing and also hearing about, um, just very sad interactions where Christians are not really portraying Christ. Yes. Um, and that does, you know, kind of go back to what we were talking about before. It's not a very, floofy kind of uh, floofy was the word that came to mind but a floofy kind of love that's the type of love that the world is pushing right. of oh you need to love everyone and accept everyone and now that i've said that out loud it's true we are supposed to love everyone and mm -hmm. accept everyone but not in the way that it's being pushed right um and and so taking that idea just tr love true love um, isn't always going to look the way that the receiver may want it. It may not always look the way the giver wants it to look. But <laughs> um, but a lot of, of true love is going to be wrapped up in what is true. And that comes down mm. to, I think, the, the most beautiful portrayals of that would be Jesus in the Gospels and how he handles interacting with difficult people and the way that he is able to show love. Um, even to those who, if we were to transport the same type of situation to nowadays that a lot of people would have difficulty showing the love that Christ showed. Yeah. And, and that Christ's idea was to both love them where they are and to not want them to stay that way. Yes. Because there's this idea of, and I think it gets, there's a reason that there are so many parallels drawn in the Bible between um, Christ and the church and a marriage, because the idea that, there's this idea like, well, I don't want to have to change someone to marry them. And you shouldn't change someone to marry them, right? But if you marry someone and you want them to stay the exact same way that they are when you marry them, you don't love them. That's just the way it is because you want them to get better. Now, the way you approach that is very important and that's where tact comes in. And because it's not like, well, I don't like this thing you do, so you should change it. But, you know... A husband and wife help each other in a way that is loving, but is also improving, right? Because look, when we got married, I, man, there's so much wrong with me. I can't even think of one example, right? But there's a lot of stuff that it's like, man, I should have, we got married now my, okay, here's a good example. All my shirts look really nice now because I don't just throw them in the dryer. They don't shrink. And so now they fit me. Um, I never did that before I got married. Now, would it have been more loving for my wife to say, well, you know, your shirts, they doesn't matter. You live the way you are. Or would it be more loving to say, hey, this is a way that we could make things better, right? And so that's a, such a, like, lame example, but it's a true example that, like, 
the, but the way that you approach it is super important because if she'd come in and said, hey, dummy, what are you doing? All your shirts are too small. That wouldn't work. That wouldn't work on me. And the same thing is true when you approach me like, hey, let me share the gospel with you, idiot. Don't you know Jesus is Lord? Like, okay, but – That's uh, true, but there are other ways to <laughs> There are other ways it. to say it. And I think that sometimes that there may be occasion to be – to have a harsher tone with people. But again, I do think that's probably more for people in the church. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees mm. in like what we would consider cruel ways when he's not actually being cruel. He's being honest and he mm. believes in justice, actual justice. So he's like, can you stop using – uh, my dad's name in a way to justify your own way you want the world to be. But that makes them hypocrites. So there you go. We've come full circle. <laughs> uh, what do you put on your hot dogs? Ooh, a bacon wrapped hot dog is always good. Um, caramelized onions mm-hmm. comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Ooh, probably some kind of cheese. Maybe Swiss. I don't do Swiss hot... cheese. Yes. Is dog. that not good? No, it's fine. It's just... <laughs> I respect any weird hot dog take. Oh, okay. So Swiss cheese, that's interesting. Um, like shredded Swiss cheese? Or I, like laid on top melted? Maybe laid on top melted. I have to be honest. I don't eat hot dogs very often. It's okay. And so my my brain is just going to, ooh, what would go good with bacon? Mm-hmm. And then my brain goes caramelized onions, Swiss cheese, grilled mushrooms. So really you're, the hot dog is an accessory to your <laughs> bacon. Yes. Maybe. Is the bacon wrapped hot? <laughs> the bacon wrapped hot dog confuses me. Is there yeah. a bun as well? Usually, okay. yeah. Okay, I've so I've seen some bacon wrapped hot dogs that are just wrapped in bacon with no yeah. bun. Yeah, see, my my brain is like putting together what flavors would be good, and that's where the Swiss cheese, mushrooms, and okay. all that is coming from. But the actual bacon wrapped hot dog that's coming to my mind is one that I had on the streets of L.A. in the Flower District. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so good. The dude was just there at the corner with his cart. I never sure. say dude. I don't know why that came out. Because he was at the corner with his cart, bro. He, exactly. Um, and it was just, oh, the smell just like hmm. it floated to me all the way when I was inside the shop. And I smelled that. It was near lunch. Like you one of those understand. cartoons where you levitated off the ground and oh, it pulled yeah. your Oh, yeah. Your totally. It, it was it was a it was a long day. It was one of those days I went with my aunts and my cousins, and they're like they're hardcore. They're like, okay, we're gonna get there at seven a.m. when the shops mm-hmm. open, so we can get the best pick of what's out there. So there we go. We're out there, which also means we've been out there for sure. hours, and it's now approaching. And you just lunch. want that bacon wrapped hot dog. Yeah, and that bacon wrapped hot dog was amazing. For you saying that you don't eat hot dogs very often, I must confess to you, I'm not a bacon guy, which is very strange because I feel like. This persona that I've developed screams I love bacon, right? Because yeah, I'm very American and I like fatty foods and stuff. Huh. But I just can't – I don't – once in a while, crispy bacon for breakfast by itself. I don't like bacon on stuff. I see. I feel okay. like people overdo it with the bacon on stuff. I feel mm-hmm. like bacon wrapped hot dogs, specialty, novelty, once in a while, okay, I get it. But like people every people go to the place and every time they get a cheeseburger, they get a bacon cheeseburger. Like Why? You don't because, need to do that. Because bacon's good. Why not? It's fine. It's like adding just salt and a layer of crisp. I get the texture. Texture is fun. Adding a texture to a food is very fun. Um, what do you think is the best argument against Christianity and why are you not convinced by it? Hmm. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind is that, oh, it's this leap of faith, which kind of goes back to what we talked about at the very beginning mm-hmm. um, of our conversation. Just, oh, how can you believe, I think you had said, this invisible man in the sky, right? Um, And it just seems like, how could you think that? You know, and and I've had that conversation and heard that Mm -hmm. so much during my my schooling. 
um, in just of a kind of disbelief that like, wait, how would you think that? Like I they've thought never you met a Christian smart. before. <laughs> yeah. Like I thought you were smart and how can you think this? And, and really, you know, the reason why I don't think that, and to be fair, like I understand that we sure. can't see him. Yeah. We can't, we don't see him working if we're not looking for it. Sure. Um, like before in the times of the Bible there, but that was a different culture then. Uh, but you could see God working miracles yes. in the sense of he parted the Red Sea. Right. That's not something we see nowadays. Right. And so it can be very easy for people to look at the Bible, look at the stories and the miracles that God has done in the past and just say, oh, like, honey, those are some fairy tales. Yeah. Like, if you find comfort in that, good for you. But I'm going to use my brain and really look at what's going on and what I can see and understand. And so I get that. And I realized maybe the way I said that made it sound like I don't, but I do. Like, I understand. I think you that. can get it, and also you can belittle it because it's a silly view. <laughs> and <laughs> once again, you're, Marion, as we've discussed before, but I'm never in public, you're like the nicest person, one of the nicest people that oh. I know. And so I will say what you, I will translate what you're saying is that's a silly thing to say. Mm-hmm. It's silly to not believe in God. And yeah, that's, yep, exactly. Um, but what the reason why I don't think that holds up is because like we'd mentioned before, okay, well, if you don't believe in God and you see the evidence of everything around you literally coming down to how you just function on a day-to-day basis, you're making a lot of leaps of Mm -hmm. faith there yourself, but somehow that's okay. I can accept those leaps of faith, but I can't accept the leap of faith that there's a God out there who is in charge of everything. And what I've kind of come to terms with myself and realized is that it's difficult to make that leap of faith of believing that God exists until you've had, and this is going to sound like one of those Christianese terms, but until you've actually had a God moment, Mm -hmm. there's been some kind of revelation to you or some obstacle, um, some hurdle in life that you've hit where you realize wait, this, this can't be it or wait, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. And just having that realization that, wait, God must exist. I have to make that leap of faith in believing that he does. Otherwise, how can all of this be true? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, you talk about the miracles of the Bible and it's just like, okay, the world exists. That's not a miracle <laughs> to a you. Miracle in of itself. I, I mean, really, <laughs> yeah. as far as statistically speaking, this mm-hmm. is the fact that we're here is a miracle. The fact that mm-hmm. we live on a planet that can sustain life is a miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I th- okay. I'm gonna use an analogy, and I'm pretty sure it will fall apart under any sort of scrutiny. But I'm. It'll. We're friends, so it'll work in this room. Okay. And so, it's like imagine that you get your paper delivered in the morning, and it comes every morning, and it appears on the porch, but you've never seen the paper delivery person, the mm-hmm. paper boy. It's unreasonable to assume that there is no paper boy, right? To mm-hmm. assume that the paper just appears. Like maybe there's a multiverse and it may in, in a million, I just happen to be in the universe where the paper appears every morning because the chemicals coalesce in such a way, you know, science words. But, but it's, that would be unreasonable. And so I don't know how you look at the world and the universe for that matter and say, it's very silly to believe that someone made this, 
right? So like, you know, you could, okay, so then that's really talking about a case for a general creator, right? You could be a deist and believe that, but right. but that's a starting point, and then you get into historical evidence of the Bible and stuff, but it's just like, it's it baffles me that there are people who don't believe in a creator. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. And what that tells me is that it really is kind of what you're saying, and this is more of a heart issue. This was more like floofy, to use a term that I've recently heard, uh, than I usually would speak about it, but that it's a heart issue. It's such a, it, it is just a, I hate God. That's what it comes down to. They hate God and so much that they're just going to deny he exists. And that's really sad because logically speaking, I mean, maybe God doesn't exist. Okay. But you've got way more explaining to do than I do. If, if, if that's, if that's your best theories that God doesn't exist because it's not, I'm not making a God of the gaps argument. I'm not saying, well, we don't understand stuff. So God must be there, right? That's not what I'm saying, but I'm saying that it's insanity to believe that there's nothing out there because otherwise, you know, Camus said, I don't know if I'm going to get a coffee or kill myself today because he didn't believe in God. And that's kind of where it is. It's like life is silly. Mm-hmm. And every and no and again, this kind of goes back to what I was saying before about the hypocrisy thing is that nobody lives like that. Mm-hmm. Nobody lives as if there aren't objective moral values. Mm-hmm. They can try and smash them down all they want to, but they're just making new more uh, objective values and they're making themselves into God. And that's what all of history has been is us trying to turn ourselves into God. Um, what do you think is the biggest strength in the church today? Biggest strength in the church. Uh, I think diversity. Hmm. Can you explain what you mean by that? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, you know, one of the things that I've always, it's kind of always been in my mind is, you know, the way that we have come so far since times of the Bible in terms of the different people groups mm-hmm. that have heard the gospel, have heard about God, have heard about Jesus, um, and how the technology that we have and the time that we've been able to spend as the body of Christ in being able to reach these people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not, I recently was having a conversation about just the actual intricacies of being able to translate the Bible yes. to others mm-hmm. and not even just translate in terms of figuring out oh what words are going to equate here but actually the ideas Mm -hmm. of the words themselves because just putting down the words on paper may not be the same in their language as it is in our language even if it's the exact translation word for word Um, and I had never thought about that before and so when I'm talking about this diversity in the church I think the strength there is that there are Christians and missionaries and people in the field um, who are actively working to spread the word of Christ um, all over the world, wherever they're located. And that is something that today um, we are so um, advanced is not the right word. We're better equipped. Better, Thank you. Yeah. We're better equipped nowadays than we ever have been before. Yeah. Um, some of that may just be you know, due to the technology that we have today versus before. Um, and also just taking in the consideration of the time, um, and the, uh, effort that missionaries have invested into communities all over the world. Uh, but that is, 
that's kind of what popped into my head when you asked. <laughs> no, I think I think that makes sense because thinking about what you're saying as far as translating and then translating, right? There's translating mm-hmm. in language and there's translating culturally. Right. And first of all, you have to know a culture before you can translate to that culture. Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, the words, a word for word thing doesn't really work. We were talking earlier about, um, before we got started here, about Bible translations mm-hmm. and how I really like the Christian Standard Bible. One of the things that always stays in my head when I, because I nerd out about this kind of thing, and so I was watching a video, they're talking about it, and there's a verse that I can't remember. I think it's in Leviticus. It's in the Old Testament. But the phrase that's used is, and God will make your teeth clean. Hmm. Right? Which sounds like, like that's a literal translation. That sounds great. My teeth are gross sometimes. I've got the bad breath. God makes my teeth clean. Ultimate dentist. Ultimate (laughs) dentist. He is the great physician but um but what it means is in hebrew culture what that means is your teeth are clean because you haven't eaten he's bringing a famine to your land right so Hmm. if you don't know that when you're translating well okay well now the words are basically they're not useless right because all scriptures god God. breathes (laughs) but but it's like you don't actually you're unable you don't have the skills just sitting there with your bible to take that into context and so i think that Moving that forward in history as we translate into other languages is knowing what's the best way to say this mm-hmm. so that this culture can understand what I'm saying, right? Um, and I, I think that there is an ethical issue with translation as far as like being true to original documentation and stuff. But but even when we're outside of like reading straight from the scripture, when we're communicating with people and talking to people through these ideas from different cultures, we're in a we have an opportunity now where we can relate in a better way, in a more concrete way, where we can learn about other cultures more quickly. I mean, think about it. Think about being a missionary 50 years ago and you're going and you maybe got a book on the local culture and, and that kind of thing. Um, and I have a cousin who's a missionary right now in Dominican Republic. And it's like they can they were able to video chat before, I think, and, and like that kind of thing. And like they, there's just so much there and they can know it's not just we're throwing you in. Mm-hmm. Now, nothing is as good as hands-on experience, but but the idea that like we're able to talk to people and reach people and have conversations and and you know, we have Christianity is supposed to be the great leveler, right? It says we're all sinners. Whatever our culture is, we're we're a sinful culture. <laughs> let's let's do something about it and let's and let's find a savior. So, I, I think that, you know, diversity is such a code word and such like a it I think that me as a white American man hears that word and thinks, oh no, here we go. But it really, but I think that what you really mean is actual diversity, which means cultural yes, diversity, diversity exactly. ideas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you look at a church and a church body that only has one age group even, mm-hmm. that's not great right, because exactly. diversity is how you um, build on wisdom and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wisdom and stuff. Let's read the Bible <laughs> before I get myself in more trouble today. Um, this is from... First Peter chapter five verses six through eleven. I'm informed that this is a verse that lots of people have memorized. Uh, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the, at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, 
the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, to, uh, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. So I think that's a really cool verse for lots of reasons. Um, but I'm wondering what reasons you think that might be a cool verse. Yeah. The, in, it's a good section of scripture. But the part in all of that that really stands out to me is um, the second half of verse 7, where it says, because he cares for you. Mm-hmm. Really stands out to me because I feel like that really just shows that aspect of God's nature. He could, you know, you can cast your cares on him. That's great. But the reason why you can is what really stands out to me is because the God of the entire universe that we keep going back to, right? right. He's so powerful. Uh, he is the only reason why we're sitting here breathing. He actually cares about you. He knows all the hairs on your head. He's the one that's making sure that you had your last meal. He's also the one who has put you where you are in life, which at least for me, that means that I have a roof over my head and I have a job that I'm going to go to tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, go to work from home tomorrow. Um, and he's the one that uh, has essentially crafted all these details of my life. Mm. That's how much he cares about me. And that's how much he cares about everyone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the idea of because he cares about you is preceding that, right? It's you cast your anxieties on him. It's not just God is big and strong and can handle it. So you can give me your anxieties. It's because he cares about you. Like, you know, the, the parent parallel, right? That we kind of always go back to of, uh, the idea of like, you know, when you fall, when you're a little kid and you fall and scrape your knee, well, you, your mom's going to be a lot more soothing in that situation than, than even a doctor. Right. And so with God, we have the guy who's kind of like the ultimate doctor. I called God a guy. I didn't mean that, but (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, He's a person. Um, but like he can, he can handle it, but also it's important to realize that because he cares for you. And that's why, um, kind of your anxieties are his anxieties. That's why we get to give them to him. Um, the other thing I was going to say, I always like when the Bible says to be sober minded. Um, I think that it is interesting talking about the suffering. Um, mm-hmm. so verse nine says, resist him firm in your faith. So it's not just resist him. It's you're resisting him because you are firm in your faith. Without your faith, you cannot do that. And then knowing that they're the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And then after you've suffered a little while, uh, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, like, and then it gives you like that list, right? Mm-hmm. He's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. There's other tra- word, other translations used a word other than establish that I can't remember what they are, but the idea being like, it's not just he's going to make it better. He's going to sustain you like we talked about before. He's mm-hmm. going to um, confirm you um, and uh, and that he's going to be the, the source of the strength um, after you've suffered, which again, the Bible is all about you're going to suffer. Mm-hmm. So I, and that kind of made, that popped into my head when you were talking about that you have a roof over your head and I have a roof over my head. We're, we're very blessed to have those things. Um, that, But when we encounter times of suffering, so for someone who's like, well, I don't have a roof over my head, so God not care about me. It's like, you're going to suffer for a little while, right? Mm-hmm. Suffering looks different for different people. And I know that's like easy for me to say as someone who, you know, doesn't miss a meal um, and has, has a, a comfortable house and that sort of thing. But suffering is going to happen. Like it's, we're told to expect it and that 
God is the one who restores us after that suffering. And so it's, you know, <laughs> in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about like how, you know, the meek are going to inherit the earth and that kind of thing. And so it's just an interesting thing where you think about, yes, you might suffer more, but you are brought to more glory in a certain mm-hmm. kind of way, right? You have a little farther to go yeah. to get to that. And so it's just, it's a really that the blessings of God are sometimes don't feel like blessings, but that that's so that he can restore you and that ultimately we can bring glory to, to him um, through our uh, our proclaiming of the gospel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And through our our, um, our redemption, right? Because that brings a lot of glory to God. The, the, re- the redemptive act is kind of his jam. Yeah. I've called him a guy and I've talked about his jam. That's <laughs> not good stuff. Well, I think just to continue that thought actually sure. that you brought up when you were going through the verse again, what stood out to me that time was hearing that comparison of suffer a little while. <laughs> yes. And then we are called to his eternal glory in Christ. Oh, interesting. Yeah. That comparison of, of time. A little while. There. A little while. Yeah. There will be suffering for a little while. Yeah. And when you're in it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel, like, feel a little like, while. like a little while. Right. It feels like forever. It feels yeah. like eternity. Yes. Which is funny because God's like, no, no, no. This is just a little while. Yeah. You need to look at this from this perspective right. of there's eternity waiting for you. And that's that's encouraging. Yeah, I always think it's interesting in the Bible where you have words like that put kind of close together mm-hmm. to kind of provide that sort of contrast, which probably in the original language would have been even more uh, stark. Striking. Yes, yeah. yeah <laughs> Marion, thank you very much for coming uh, by this week. I really appreciate it. It was nice to sit down and talk to a real live scientist about <laughs> um, Jesus. Well, thank you so much for having me, Adam. <laughs> So I was really excited when I found out it was ESV because this is like my hugest Bible. Like this is gigantic. It's this is a ridiculously yes. su- huge. And now you get to bring this to church. I get to bring it to church. But it just makes it's always really interesting. Like, oh, it's small. And like cause the small Bibles are compact. They're easier to carry. It's like, do you have a hard time carrying a book? Hey, don't laugh. Sometimes we do because we want to put them in our purse. That makes your purse Yeah, that heavy. makes sense. I guess that makes sense. But if you're a man. You, if you're a man, just carry the Bible. Carry the Bible. You yeah. should get the biggest Bible you can get. That's right. <laughs> I said it makes me look like a better uh, Christian. Okay. All right. It's well. true. You watch the people walk in and mm-hmm. just silently judge the little I, I do judge the people.